All right, how are you guys doing? Woo! Well, it is so good to see you guys. Um, I am supposed to send the kids over here. If if kids or you guys are ready to go inside to our Elevate Kids class, you guys can head over there. If you're hanging out with your parents today, you can can do that as well. Who who in here? Any parents or kids did Staycation Bible School this last week? Yeah, can we give it up to, for Staycation Bible School? That was fun. I did one of the days with McKinley. And it was awesome. Thank you, Ariel. Thank you for Grace, Aaron Dennington, whole team, Aaron Cruz. Uh, I can't even name all the people who helped with that. So thank you so much for everyone who did that. Also, I don't know, some of you guys have gotten these cool Stapleton Church masks. Has anybody gotten one of those? I don't know. There's, there's, they're available out here. We had a whole crew of people put these together, you know, sew them, knit them. My wife uh, and Grace Chan spearheaded those. Grace is doing a lot, I guess. Um, and I know Casey Lamb kind of finished them off with our, our logo um, for, <laughs> for our church. So uh, thank you to all the ladies who sewed, who put those together. Can we give them a round of applause? Thank you. If you're watching online, thank you. We love you. And, and I just want to say I love you guys. I'm so happy um, that you guys are here. I know this is it, it's different than we normally do church, right? It's a little hotter, right? But it's good. I'm, I'm so glad that we can be here today. You know, um, you know, uh, Jimmy mentioned you know some of our global outreach stuff. Crick and Mindy Poirier. We've talked about how we're kind of adopting them as the sending church because their sending church doesn't exist anymore, which is kind of a crazy thing. So we're adopting them. And I'm saying that because um, because of that and some other things going on this fall, we encourage you guys all to commit to be givers to our church. Because here's the thing. I saw uh, an article in the Atlantic that said they estimate in America 20% of churches will not make it through this pandemic. Okay, That's just the reality, right? It's a hard time for everybody. But get this. We're not only going to make it through, God willing, he's, he's good, but we are multiplying through this. Did you know this? Did you realize that we are planting a church when churches are shutting down? Like this is awesome that we get to be a part of this. Uh, and, and just like we're planting a church, we're taking on more missionaries, so we just encourage you guys to be a part of this church, commit uh, to giving that way. Um, I'm excited about that. You know what they say, it, whether it's with an adult human being or, or with an adult disciple in Christ or with a grown church, the mark of maturity is reproduction, right? <laughs> That's when you know you're mature. And if we as a church can reproduce and plant another church, that is amazing. What, you know, I, I think that's something exciting to celebrate. There's a lot of churches who never will plant a church in their entire lifetime. And the fact that we're going to be doing it, the writers are over here. Grant, raise your hand. Leah, you know, we're so grateful for them. And we're going to be super sad to send them off. But it's so exciting. We have a whole, there's some of you here that are going to go with them, which is so exciting. Talk with them about that if you're interested. Um, but I just want to tell you about that, some of the cool things going on in the life of our church. So we are going to finish our series today, Jesus is Blank. We're going to finish that series today, and at the end of my message, I'm going to talk about next week's series. It's going to be really good. I'm really excited about this next series. God has really put it on my heart. Um, a little change from what I was going to do, but I, th I think you guys are really going to be happy about that, and, and you're going to want to come, and you're going to want to invite your friends. We do have more spots open, and we're looking even probably a couple weeks from today to have two services. And I know it's already starting to get hot. We're, we may shift the first service time a little bit earlier. So just stay tuned for that. We're not 100% sure when those are going to be. But invite your friends. Like, hey, this is something. There's a lot of people who are lonely right now, m miss being in community or being around other people. They can't go up to Red Rocks right now, you know. So to go to a concert, hey, invite them here. we got some great live music, you know. So just, just think about that. And if you have your Bibles or if you want to follow along on the Bible app, I kind of showed it at the very beginning of the service, 
But if you go and find the events, it's under more on the bottom right, and then the events, you can, and if you're watching online, you can do this as well, you can find the, the notes for today's message, you can find the scriptures that we're going through in case you're having a hard time reading it on the screen as well. As we uh, dive into this final message in the series, more than the mountaintop. Has anyone here or, or watching online had a mountaintop spiritual experience? You guys know what I'm talking about? When, when you're up on the mountaintop, you, maybe it's like at a conference or, or a church service or you go to a conference and maybe it's even a private worship service. You're literally on a mountain and you just have this feeling like God is there. He is powerful. He is real. And it brings tears to your eyes. I remember one woman after a worship service said, Matt, why am I crying so much in church? I'm like, well, okay, you, you, you've had one of these mountaintop experiences. The Holy Spirit is there. It's powerful. I remember in college when I had one one moment mountaintop experience like this. We went to a conference. I went to Colorado State University, go Rams. Um, and w- while we were there, we I was part of the Navigators. That's where Melissa and I met. It's a, a college group um, that, that serves college students. And we went on this conference to YMCA of the Rockies. Anybody been there? YMCA of the Rockies. Beautiful campus there in Estes Park. We were there, an incredible speaker came, and I just felt on top of the mountaintop. And I remember this specifically because the speaker challenged us all to read through the Bible, like the whole Bible, and I hadn't ever done it at that point in my life. And he's like, he's read it like three or four times a year for like 30 years. This guy was a missionary in Southeast Asia and now working with the Navigators. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can do this. I had the mountaintop experience. I'm going to read through the Bible when I get back down from the mountain, right? And literally, you know, driving down from Estes Park, coming down from the mountain to my dorm room. I remember the next day pulling out my Bible. I was reading it. Then the next day, and then the next day, and then that fourth day, didn't quite get my Bible reading done. You guys been there? Then the next day, I didn't get it either. You know, I was down off the mountaintop, and that feeling wasn't there anymore. You know what I'm talking about? That feeling you think, I am pumped. I am, I am going ahead with my faith. I'm going to grow. This is going to be amazing. And then all of a sudden, you're down off the mountaintop, and it's a little bit harder in the daily grind. And, and then sometimes it's not just on the flat level plane. You kind of dip into some valleys. You have some hard challenging times in life, and, and you're like, does God even like me at all anymore? Right? Uh, I felt so close to him there on the mountaintop, but now I'm not even sure. I spoke with someone just a few weeks ago and said that. Matt, what do you do when, when you feel so distant from God? And, and I think that's how our spiritual life can be. We have the mountaintop experiences, and then what do we do the rest of the time. How do we get through it? What, what are we supposed to do in that? And I think that our passage today touches on this aspect of what do you do when you get off the mountaintop. And uh, maybe if you're watching online, you guys can't do it here in person, but if you're watching online, I'd love for you guys just to comment, what was your mountaintop experience? I think that would be just an interesting thing to hear. I'm going to go back after this service and kind of read, was it a conference? Was it hearing someone? Was it at, uh, at Red Rocks, a worship service, you know, uh, you, maybe that you've been to? I, comment online for that. And what we're going to do is look at this passage. We're going to start in Luke chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 37, and we're going to go uh, all the way to verse 50. So if you have your physical Bible or your uh, Bible app or w- whatever you're using, go ahead and get there. And what we're going to see in this passage is four very short stories. And they seem at first a little disconnected un- until you really understand what Jesus says in the first section. And that's what we're going to see because they're all tied to this idea of what do you do after the mountaintop, right? What do you do? So um, we're going to look at these four short stories, and, and we'll begin there in verse 37 together. We read, the next day when they came down from what? The mountain. 
a large crowd met him. So what's going on? If you were here last week or if you watched online last week, you knew that we had a great mountaintop experience, right? It was for Peter, James, and John, for the disciples, maybe the mountaintop experience of their entire life and ministry with Jesus. Because Jesus, while they were there on the mountain, was transfigured. His face turned white, bright, and shiny. His clothes were brilliant like lightning. The glory of God came down in a cloud. Moses and Elijah were there, and we, we talked about how the, the cloud left, and, and then there was a voice from heaven saying, This is my son. And who was left? It was Jesus. Jesus, we said, stands alone. That he is the one, the one glorious God that's represented on this earth in a human being. And that was a powerful, profound experience. It, it changed them. We, we looked at how both Matthew, or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Peter, again, in Second Peter, four different accounts of that same story in the, the Bible. Because it was so powerful. This was the mountaintop experience. So I can just imagine coming down, like, these guys, their eyes are probably huge. They're like, oh my gosh, we are going to change the world. Jesus has all the glory. He stands alone. Yeah! We're taking names, right? And then they come down the mountain. Verse 38, we read. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. And get this. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. These are the disciples that were with Jesus up on the mountain. They had all the glory. Jesus was there who has all power, and he has just been teaching them. And the disciples have just what? Failed. Ooh, what a downer. What a downer. Okay, there's this boy, and a lot of people try to look at this and it's like, well, does he have this physical issue, this this boy? Is it seizures or something going on? Or is it a spiritual issue? You know, is it a demon? Um what Jesus is going to do later, it actually probably is a combination of the two and, and how that all fits together. We had a message about that uh, several weeks back um, that, that addressed that issue of, of demons. So I'm not going to get into it today. But there's this issue. This boy is having a physical and a spiritual issue that's destroying him. His father's asking for the help from the disciples who were with Jesus on the mountaintop, and they are now failing to help this boy, to heal him, to cast out this demon. And in verse 41, Jesus says, You unbelieving and perverse generation. That perverse could be translated as crooked, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay here with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. What? Okay, that is weird. That is a strange statement. We'll come back to it. Verse 42. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion, the little boy. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. The disciples have a major failure, and then Jesus says, let me do this. Watch out, guys. Boom, heals the boy. And did you notice that it says heal and sent out the spirit? So there's a combination of the physical and the spiritual there. The boy is healed, the demon is gone, and all were amazed at the greatness of God. They stand in glory. Another mountaintop experience for this crowd of people, for this man, for this boy. This boy is healed miraculously by Jesus. So why did Jesus say what he said in verse 41? Look back at this. You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Okay, now that, that thing that Jesus said seems even more weird, doesn't it? 
And, and I really struggled as I was studying this passage. You can ask Sawyer. I was talking with him a lot this week. I'm like, how does that statement fit? Like, it doesn't seem to make any sense. They, they, the disciples can't heal this boy, and then Jesus heals the boy. Okay, wh- why is that statement in there at all? Why didn't he just not say that first sentence and just say, hey, just bring the boy to me. I'll, I'll take care of this. My disciples failed. Okay, why does he say that statement, this unbelieving and perverse generation, or this crooked generation? Does anybody know? I really had to wrestle with this. I really had to wrestle with this, and, and I'm saying, why did he say that? The rest of the whole passage seems to make sense without that saying at all. And if you could take it out, why is it in there? Well, I, I've told you guys this before, but whenever you're reading the Bible, whenever you're studying it, and you come to something that doesn't make sense, it's probably the key to understanding the whole passage. Okay? It makes it even more worth your time to think and pray and sift through it, ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. So that's what I was doing this week, and I, I kept going back to it. And, and what Jesus is saying here is more than likely a reference to a verse from Deuteronomy. Okay, so what's going on in Deuteronomy? Well, in Deuteronomy, God speaking through Moses as the prophet of God calls the generation living in that time a perverse and crooked generation. Okay, they are the ones who are unbelieving. Well, what is going on with that generation that Jesus is kind of making a callback to? What is going on? Well, that generation was, is often referred to as the wilderness generation. The wilderness generation. Okay, so I'm going to bring you back to Sunday school when you were a kid, if you were there. If not, let me, let me just catch you up. So Moses came to free his people, right? Where were the people of God? in Egypt, in slavery. Things were really bad for them. And God sends Moses, his prophet, to come and work miracles. The people are pumped. Finally, we're going to get out of slavery. We've been waiting for this forever, for 400 years. They're excited. God has spoken to them. He's going to free them. And then Moses goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, no, 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 I don't think so. I need those slaves. And what do the people do? They start to get angry. Because now the slave masters are saying, hey, um, now you're going to have to go get your own straw. You're going to have to make bricks without straw. It's going to get even harder for you here. So they just had this moment. The prophet of God comes and says, you're going to be free very soon. And now the Israelites, this generation, starts to complain. God, why are you doing this? Why are you making our lives harder? Send Moses away. But then Moses does all, all the rest of the plagues, does these miracles. Finally, Pharaoh says, fine, you can leave. People are pumped. They're leaving slavery. They get out of Egypt. They're on their way. Things are good, right? They should be celebrating, exciting. This is the mountaintop. And then they come upon this place called the Red Sea, and they're stuck. They're cornered because Pharaoh and his army decided, no, 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 I think I changed my mind. I want those slaves back. So they are pressed between the sea on one side and the Egyptian army on the other side. They're about to die. They're cornered. Things are looking very bleak. And do you know what they say there, the wilderness generation? I wish we could go back to slavery. Man, things were so much better in slavery, right? Because now they're not on the mountaintop. They say, I want to go back. They're complaining. And then what does Moses do? He splits the Red Sea. Another miracle, right? They cross through the Red Sea. The Red Sea closes behind him, destroys Pharaoh's army, and they are free again. And what do they do? They start dancing. It literally says all the women were dancing. Okay, This is like a celebration. They're partying. They're praising God. Another mountaintop experience. We've just crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. Awesome. And then they start walking for three days. And after three days, they're running out of water. They're off the mountaintop. Right? You, you tracking with me? They're thirsty. And they finally come to this lake. Finally, we're here. And they... Try to drink the water, but it's bitter, meaning it's bad. It's probably poisoned. 
And they start complaining again. Why would God bring us out into the desert so that we could die? Man, it's tough when you're in those valleys, right? But then Moses, you know, does a miracle. Boom, turns the water all pure. They have pure water now to drink. Another miracle. They drink the water. They're excited. Life is good again. And they keep walking and they run out of food. (laughs) And what do they start doing? Why can't we go back to Egypt? When we were there, we at least got to eat. Now we're starving out here in the desert, in the valley. So then God does another miracle, sends manna from heaven, literally bread from heaven that they can eat. They're excited. They eat the food. God has provided everything that they need. And then they complain some more. And this is, you you see where I'm going with this? I could keep going. (laughs) I could tell more story after more. But the wilderness generation was like this. Mountaintop, praising God, everything's good. Seeing some of the most incredible miracles that have ever happened in human history. And then they come down off the mountaintop and things get harder. Things get tough. They're even in a valley and they're turning away from God saying, why can't we go back to Egypt? I mean, even when, when Moses goes up onto the mountaintop to get the Ten Commandments, the people forget about God and start worshiping a golden calf. I mean, this generation, it's like mountaintop, great. Valley, turn away from God, unbelief. So when Jesus is recalling this entire history of God's people, he's saying, hey, you guys are just like this. This is a rebuke, right? And and it doesn't say whether Jesus is addressing the disciples or the crowd, probably a little bit of both. Saying, you just saw me, I've done miracles, and now you don't believe. You're up there, you think I'm the greatest in the world, and then nothing. And then he does the miracle, he's great again, another mountaintop experience. And Jesus is saying to something that even the disciples didn't understand, that faith is more than the mountaintop. This is what Jesus is teaching them. There are some hard things, there are some failures, right? The disciples just failed to cast out a demon, to heal a boy who was in need. And that's just the first story. Because Jesus realizes that these disciples don't get it at all. And and I think, sadly, we don't get it sometimes either. Because he he goes on in verse 43, and it says, Luke writes, While everyone was marveling, right? Everybody's excited, celebrating, praising God. Wow, this great miracle. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. Listen up. The Son of Man, that's what Jesus called himself, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. See, they were so dense, right? While everybody's celebrating, praising a mountaintop experience, a boy has been healed. Jesus says, be careful. You need to listen up because... I will not always have people praise me. I, as the Son of Man, will have people turn me over, deliver me. He's saying, I will be betrayed. I will be betrayed. It's going to be hard. He's repeating some of the prophecies that we saw two weeks ago. The Son of Man, Jesus, is going to suffer many things. He's going to be betrayed, Jesus is saying. It's not always easy for me or for those who follow me. It's not always going to be people liking you. I I think this is important for us to understand, for us to hear, because, yes, there will be times that people are are thankful for Christians, thankful for you in their life. Wow, thank you so much for helping me and serving serving me. And and then they'll turn on you. 
How could you believe that? That's so hateful to believe that. And you're like, what, what are you talking about? Like, our whole religion is centers on love. What do you mean I'm hate-filled? You're just a bunch of hypocrites, okay? Yes. Yeah, that's why we confess it. Hey, we're at the front of the line, you know, to confess our sin. And, and yet people turn on us, right? And that's what Jesus is saying, that following me won't always be people liking you. People will turn on you and hate you, just like they will turn on me. But the disciples didn't get it, right? Jesus is saying, hey, it's more than the mountaintop. It's not always going to be easy. And it goes on to the next story in verse 46. <laughs> An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Because if Jesus is the greatest, he's on the mountaintop. If he stands alone, the disciples are thinking, hey, we're here right here with you guys. <laughs> which one of us gets to be the greatest with you? Okay, which one of us gets the title, gets the prestige, gets to be preaching with Jesus, you know? Can I be his MC for that next event? Like who? Everybody wants the spotlight. This is what they're arguing about. And Jesus, verse 47, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand between him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you who is the greatest. Jesus is saying, hey, you want to get up on a Sunday morning on the platform and preach? You want to be a, the, the elder board at your church? You want to do some great things? You want people to respect you and esteem you? Go change some diapers in the nursery. <laughs> Got an amen from Ariel over there. This is what Jesus is saying to him, right? Do you, do you see this? He's saying, hey, if, if you want to be the greatest, you've got to humble yourself to serve others, to be lowly, to lower yourself. You know, I used to hate it. But my mom always made me serve with the little kids when I was a teenager. I would go in there. I would have to help. She was teaching the class, and I was always the helper. I hated it, right? But I think she was teaching me something about the way of Jesus. Like, it's not about prestige. It's not about being the one up front. It's not about being the one who everybody respects and loves, the greatest. You know, following Jesus is not just up on the mountaintop. It's going to be the hard thing, serving behind the scenes, helping the little kids. I mean, this is, these are kids younger than 13, by the way, the, the language Jesus uses. It's helping the little kids. It's the, when the kids are getting frustrating, Jesus is saying to these young men who are his disciples. <laughs> hey, well, it's frustrating. Hey, you've got to take care of the little kids. It's more about serving the least, the lowly. And I think if there weren't little kids there, he, he would have taken a homeless man. He would have taken an outcast and said, hey, look at them, serve them. If you want to be great, faith is more than the mountaintop. And then Jesus, in this fourth story, verse 49, Master, said John. John was one of the disciples with Jesus on the mountaintop, remember? Just three of them, but John was one of them. Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. And Jesus said, do not stop him, for whoever is not against you is for you. Now, so often that verse is isolated from the rest of this passage, but I think it fits right in there. And Luke is saying, hey, John was the one on the mountaintop. John was one of the disciples who was trying to what? In the first story, you remember? What, was, what were they trying to do? Cast out a demon. And he failed. Couldn't do it. And now John and the disciples see another guy, not one of the twelve, casting out a demon. And John's like, can I stop that guy? I mean, 
why would you want to stop somebody casting out a demon, right? Okay. It, it, it's like uh, when, if our church were struggling, or, or if your faith were struggling, if you were trying to lead a Bible study and nobody's showing up, and then you look across and you see somebody else's Bible study doing well, the, the church down the street is having a revival. Stop them, God. Can't we stop them? I mean, they must be doing something wrong, right? Why do we do stuff like that? Why do we get jealous? That's what it is, right? We're jealous when other people are succeeding, even in ministry. That's what John's doing. This is what the disciples are doing. John was just the one who spoke up, I think. He had failed. The whole disciples, all 12 of them, had to fail to cast out a demon. And here's a guy that's not even one of the 12 that has the faith and the powerful ministry enough to cast out a demon. Instead of celebrating what is going on in the power of God in the name of Jesus, they want to stop it out of jealousy. Because these disciples said, hey, if it's not me at the top, if I'm not the one on the mountaintop, things are going well, that I'm having success in my life, in my ministry, things aren't going well, nobody else can have success either. That's what we do, right? Let's be honest. And what Jesus is saying over and over and over again in these passages, four different times Jesus is trying to tell them, faith is more than the mountaintop. You will have some failures. Things won't always go as well as you want them to. You'll see other people have success and you'll be jealous of it. Life will be good for them. And you'll be wondering, why am I struggling? Why am I having a failure? I, I, I was up on the mountaintop and now I'm in the valley. What's going on? But what Craig Rochelle says, I think, is really good in his book, Hope in the Dark. It's, it's a great book. I've referenced it before. He says... When we retreat and refuse to feel the pain of our disappointment, I think that's what these disciples are feeling here, the disappointment, the jealousy that someone else is succeeding. It says then we're not really trusting him. We're using him and maybe missing greater opportunities for growth. Peaks are nice, but you don't see many farms on mountaintops. Why? Because things grow better in valleys. Interesting, right? If we're only faithful and we love God and we're praising him, if we're only faithful to God when things are good, when we're on the mountaintop, then that's not really faith. We're just like the wilderness generation, Jesus is saying. Don't be like them, he says. We've got to have faith all the time, even when things get hard, even when your back gets pressed up against the Red Sea, even when you're hungry and thirsty, and when you're in the desert and things aren't going well. Jesus is saying, you have to be faithful still. That's what faith is. It's easy to have faith on the mountaintop, but not in the valleys. You know, if you've ever spoken to a successful businessman, you see them and it looks like, man, they're at the top of the world. Their business is million, making millions of dollars. You talk with them, though. None of them say, you know, it's all up and to the right. It's always been growth, growth, growth. Things are always good, right? You talk to a successful athlete. If you talk with one of them, they're not like, yeah, you know, I... I just rolled out of bed one day and won a gold medal. What? You know, No, that's not how it happens, right? They train, and it's grueling, and it's hard, and they have losses and setbacks. We, here in Colorado, we celebrate John Elway, right? We see that he finished with two Super Bowl rings. Man, that's a good way to go out if you're an athlete, right? Two Super Bowl rings. But then we forget about over a decade before that and the three miserable failures he had in the Super Bowls. Remember those? Yeah, okay. 
See, when you look at someone that's successful, you see that they have had setbacks, that they've had failures, that they've had hard times, that they've probably had some times where they didn't even want to get up out of bed. But yet they kept at it. And what Jesus is saying is, that's what faith is. It's more than the mountaintop. It's more than the mountaintop. In those valleys, in those hard things, you've got to keep pushing forward. And I I think some of us need to hear this because this has been a hard, grueling time in our lives, right? Not just as a society, not just as a nation, not just in the businesses we work for, but personally this has been hard, right? This has been challenging. I'm sure some of you have not just felt like, hey, I'm not on the mountaintop, but man, I'm in the deepest valley I've ever felt in my life. I thought things were hard enough and then I lost my job. Then my relationship is at the worst point it's ever been at. I feel more lonely now than I ever have. We are at these valleys and we wonder, does God love me? Have you ever been there? Does God love me? Does he care about me? Where's Jesus? When is he going to show up? We've got to know that faith is more than the mountaintop. And what Jesus would show us is that, yes, very soon, very soon in the disciples' lives, he would enter into Jerusalem riding a donkey, people cheering him on, right? Hosanna, the triumphant entry, it's called. They're celebrating him as the king is coming. They're quoting psalms because he is the Messiah, fulfilling everything. All the people are cheering. Palm leaves, putting down stuff in front of Jesus. They're cheering, right? And within the week, they would betray him. Instead of shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, they would shout, crucify, crucify. Jesus, who was at the top on the mountain, full of glory, would be hung on a cross on a different mountain, outside the city, cast out, rejected, murdered. But see, Jesus would do all of that to show us that faith is more than the mountaintop. But the good news is that three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead, and he showed himself to over 500 people to prove that he was alive, to be with these same disciples again, to teach them, to love them, to point out all the things that they had wrong up to this point, right? And to show them that, yeah, in your deepest, darkest despair, there in the valley, when I was dead on the cross, they had put me in the tomb, I had breathed my last. It was not the end of the story. Because Jesus rose from the dead. Warren Wearsby once said, If we want to share the glory of Christ on the mountaintop, we must be willing to follow him into the sufferings of the valley. This is the way of Jesus. This is the way of Jesus. So if you're here today and you've had those moments like you get married, you have your kid, well, then there's also going to be times where the relationship is really struggling, where you might be dealing with infertility or or a child that's disobeying. Or or you're looking and you're saying, well, you know, uh, at one moment you get the promotion. Life is great. Financially, I'm doing great. I'm having these huge successes. But then you lose your job. You have some failures and setbacks, disappointments. You're struggling just to pay rent. We have these moments in our lives, and when we look at all of it, we have to know that faith is more than the mountaintop. But the good news, because Jesus died in our place, and when we put our faith in him, we know that he rose from the dead, and we too will make it through. Because faith is more than the mountaintop, but when you follow Jesus, the valley is never the end. Let's pray. Lord God, I know there's some people here who are in those valleys, who are struggling right now, who, who are suffering, dealing with depression, dealing with loss, dealing with worry. Lord God, I just pray that you fill their hearts, that you'd remind them 
in these moments that you love them and care for them. And it's not the end of their story, just like it wasn't the end even when Jesus had been put in the tomb. Lord God, the faith that rose Jesus from the dead, that faith would it infuse us as we put our faith in the Savior that would lead us through these valleys, lead us through the difficulties. Lord, please help us through this. Lord, if you are the good shepherd, you lead us not only to steal waters, but also into the valley of the shadow of death, Lord. And we are going to trust you in that valley. We're going to have faith in that valley. And we're going to not be like the wilderness generation, Lord. Give us the faith to make it through even the hardest times in our life. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So next week, we're starting our new series. We're calling it No Ordinary People. Um, I'm, we're going to show a little promo video. I know it's hard to watch the video, but we're going to show the promo video here in just a second. Um, please come back. Please invite your friends. This is going to be so important for us to be here because what we're going to see in this video is that there are no ordinary people, and we've got to learn how to treat people like Jesus, right? Let's watch this video. You got that? There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortals. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. And our charity must be a real and costly love. You have never talked to a mere mortal. There are no ordinary people. All right, I think you guys are going to be excited for that. So please come back next week. I'm going to say one more prayer as we send us out. If you're watching online, I'm sending you out as well. And, and, and let's remember, faith is more than the mountaintop. Let's pray. Lord God, we're so grateful for this morning that we can celebrate together or whenever we're watching this online. Lord God, we are grateful that you love us and you call us, that you do not leave us, don't forsake us. And I pray that you'd send us out in the name of Jesus to, to know that faith is more than the mountaintop. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we'll see you guys next week.